I invite you now to turn your Bibles with me, first of all, to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 22. <coughs> I want to return with you to the Good Friday, Easter context. Luke chapter 22, I want to read the verses 31 through to the end of verse 46. Hear the word of God with me, verse verse 31 of Luke 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you without money, bag, knapsack, or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. Then he said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me, and nevertheless not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer, and he had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And our text for this morning I take from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 16, the seventh verse. Mark chapter 16, verse 7, and we hear, continue to hear the word of God as follows. But go, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, gathered with me here in Salem this morning. Over the past number of weeks, Christian churches the world over have commemorated Christ's passion. And we were reminded that all of his life, but especially on the cross, Christ suffered. And we know that his suffering climaxed on Golgotha when he was nailed to the tree. But then last week, we joyfully celebrated the resurrection. And together, we listened as the angels said to the women, He is not here. He is risen from the dead. And now, one more time, in our scripture passage, we've had the privilege 
to follow the women to the grave of our Lord. And now we're going to tarry with them there for a few moments. And in our human minds, we might wish that we could have been there with them to see all that had taken place at that time. You know, sometimes I think that I would have been so benefited, I would have so benefited from seeing the angel, and sometimes I wonder what it would have done to my own faith had I been allowed to be there on that Easter morning. But even though we might have liked to see the angel, by the great grace of God, even though we were not there, we here in Bowmanville are given to see even more than those women did on that particular day. You see, we are standing beyond Easter. We stand beyond the ascension, even beyond Pentecost. And so, through the eyes of our faith, we are given to see so much more. And yet, and yet, there is still so much that we need to learn from that glorious narrative that we know as Easter. We read this part of the narrative together. And, and, and although we didn't read this passage, but you remember it was Sunday morning. It was Sunday morning. It was the Sunday after Friday's historic crucifixion. And then there we would read in verses 5 and 6 that the women who had gone to the grave, they had gone early in the morning after the Sabbath or, or, or to, with their sweet spices to, to anoint the body of the Lord. And we read that they were affrighted or amazed, or as some translations have it, they were alarmed. They were alarmed, they were terrified, they were struck with amazement, and that ought not to surprise us. You see, these women had been witnesses to the crucifixion and they had, they had watched the cross until the very end. The disciples had run away, but these women, they had remained right until the bitter end. Oh, they had been told by Jesus that these things must happen. They had been taught that he needed to suffer many things. They had, they had even been told of his death and his resurrection, but they had not understood it was, it was as if a veil had covered their eyes, their ears, and their, and their minds. For even after all that the Lord had said, they still believed that the cross marked the end of their Lord. Hastily, that body had been prepared by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus for that funeral. There was no time to perform all of the rites for the Jewish Sabbath was at hand. And so the preparations had been kept to a minimum for the sake of time. And these women had belonged to that funeral procession. These, these women had followed along as that body was taken down from the cross and carried away. And these women had watched and they had taken careful notice to where they had laid the body of their dead friend. And they had regretted that the anointing of the body with spices had been omitted because the Sabbath rest was at hand. And they had seen that the body had been carefully but hastily laid in the cave. And then these women, after watching the stone being rolled to, the, to seal the tomb, they had returned to their homes, <clears throat> sad of heart, overcome with grief. But they had also resolved in their minds to return to the grave as soon as possible after the Sabbath to perform that last service of love on the body of Jesus. They would bring spices, and they would lovingly, properly prepare the body of their dead friend. Now we know that our, our resurrection of the body of Christ doesn't even enter their minds. They did not think of it. They had not understood it when it was explained to them. They do not anticipate it now. In fact, they did not even understand that the suffering of, and, and the death of their master. Far less could they think about a resurrection from the dead. No, that was not on their minds. Their entire focus was to properly prepare the body of their dead friend. 
And so we're not surprised when Mark records that the women were alarmed. After all, they had anticipated a grave with a dead body, and so when they had come to the tomb early on that Sabbath morning, and when they saw from afar that the stone was rolled away, that already was amazing to them, for it was, it was a great, it was a large stone. And when they then arrive at the grave and they see a young man sitting, when in fact they see an angel clothed in, long white, in a long white garment, they become terrified. But knowing their fear, the angel speaks to them words of great comfort. Do not be alarmed. Do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they had laid him. And then he addresses them in the words of our text. Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. And there you shall see him as he had said. And now for my pericope, or if you will, my preaching text, I take only those two words, and Peter. Tell his disciples, and Peter. I want to administer God's word to you this morning on this glorious Sunday Sunday morning, using as my theme the words of the angel. Tell Peter. Go and tell Peter, or and Peter. And we will see that these words are, first of all, a reminder of our sin, And at the same time, they are a reminder of Christ's love. And Peter, remind us of our sin and of God's love. People of God, just two words, and Peter. Just two short words, and yet what a wealth of comfort is contained in those two little words for us, and Peter. Jesus instructs the angel to tell the women, go tell the disciples, and Peter. And in the final analysis, Jesus thereby indicated clearly that there is no sin so dark. If you take nothing else with you home this morning, take this. There is no sin so dark. There is no sin so profound. There is no sin so vile. There is no sin so horrible that the risen Lord has no comfort for a penitent sinner. And those same words teach us that Christ is always mindful of his people. Follow this with me. The women had gone to the grave to see the body. And instead they learned that he had risen from the dead and the angel instructs them to go and tell the disciples and Peter, uh, tell them what? Of the Lord's return from the dead. And as soon as they had recovered their senses, these women must have scrambled for home as fast as their legs could carry them. We could imagine that at first they would have been so overcome with alarm and amazement that they would have, would have fled from the grave and said nothing. Their lips would have been frozen shut in astonishment. And that's also what the text says. But soon they must have breathlessly reported to the disciples that in the empty tomb, In the empty tomb, they found a young man who had instructed them to go home to the disciples and to tell them what they had seen and heard at the the empty grave and to tell also Peter. Oh, how that singling out of Peter must have affected him. It, It must have struck Peter very deeply. Mark is the only gospel writer that reports the reference to Peter, but, but oh, how it must have thrilled Peter to hear those words, tell his disciples And Peter, the Lord Jesus Christ, awakens from the sleep of death. And his first thoughts were for his disciples. And a special distinction, a special memory he had of Peter. For after all, the angel had been instructed to say to the women, go tell the disciples, and Peter, that I have risen from the dead. Tell my disciples, and Peter, 
What a distinction there is in this brief sentence. How simple these words are and yet how filled with significance and how it must first of all have cut Peter to the quick to be distinguished from the rest of the disciples in that way. You see, when the angel said, go tell his disciples and Peter, it implied that Peter was in a, a different category from the rest. It implied that Peter was, set, was to be a part or perhaps even outside of that circle of those that were still worthy to be called disciples. Oh, my dear people of God, Peter, had Peter not deserved that distinction? Had he not plainly separated himself from the rest of the apostles, first of all, by his self-confident boast when the Lord found it necessary to rebuke him, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. And a little later, Peter, Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. But Peter had given it all no heed, boldly, strong in self-confidence, in strongly in sinful pride, he had contradicted the Lord and said, it'll never happen, Lord, it'll never happen. I'm ready to go with you to prison, if need be, even to death. Lord, 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 I will die with you. Oh, how confidently he had esteemed himself above all the rest of the disciples when he maintained, even though all should be offended and run away, I will stay with you, Lord. You can count on me, Lord. He had cast the warning to the wind. Though I should die with you, I shall never deny you. Oh, how Peter had distinguished himself from the others by his pride and his sinful self-esteem. But though he had placed himself in such a high pinnacle, how great was his fall. How deep the precipice into which he had cast himself. You know the story. By a most shameful and cowardly denial, Peter had distinguished himself from the rest of the disciples. In the dark hour of his master's humiliating trial, he had forsaken him. He had denied that he had ever known him. He had sworn with an oath that he would have nothing to do with this Jesus of Nazareth. And, oh, and, and all of this denial, not while he was threatened by an overwhelming force of the enemy, no, perhaps we could understand it a little better if, for instance, after a prolonged attempt to remain faithful to the end, the Roman soldiers had confronted him with the swords flashing. If the soldiers had interrogated and threatened, maybe even tortured him, perhaps that would better explain his fear and his, den his denial. People got a couple of years ago, you may, you, you may remember, but... I read, I read of that massacre of the Christians in the school, in that school in, in Kenya by the Boko Haram. I heard that the terrorists confronted the students, mostly young women, by insisting that they confess their faith. And if they confessed Christ, they were summarily executed. And now if Peter was confronted with that kind of a threat, perhaps we could better understand, but that wasn't the case at all. His denial and his curse had happened before a simple young girl when she simply inquired out of her own curiosity if she had not earlier seen Peter as a friend of this man who was, who was being so shamefully treated. Oh, how Peter had distinguished himself. And now, and now he hears the message of the angel, the message of the Lord, the message of Jesus himself through these women. Tell my disciples and Peter. 
mighty people of God, it's not hard for us to imagine that upon hearing that message that Peter's heart would have pounded in his chest as all of his guilt would have risen up before him again. You can be certain that Peter had not forgotten his sin. His heart would have been deeply wounded because of his shameful denial. How much more so would his conscience not have burned within him when he realized that even as he was denying the Lord, the Lord remained faithful to Peter and was still busy praying for Peter, that praying that God would keep him out of the eternal clutches of the evil one. Peter, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith might not fail. Peter cursed and denied the Lord, and the Lord prayed. The Lord looked at Peter in sorrow, and the rooster crowed, and Peter was devastated at his sinful shame, and he ran out and he wept bitterly. Oh, God hears the prayers of his son. Were those penitent tears of of Peter, were they not evidence that Peter's faith had not failed him? In the following days, it brought him no rest. His sin was continually before him. And now the first message of the Lord concerned him. Oh, how that message must have burned into his wounded soul. Tell my disciples and Peter. My dear precious people of God, if you can, try to put yourself into the mind of Peter. Try to follow him for just a moment. Immediately after his denial. Immediately after he heard the rooster crow, follow him with me as he rushes out from from Pilate's hall to be alone, to be where he can wring his hands and beat upon his anxious breast with no one around, no one to hinder him, but also no one to help him. Try to imagine the thoughts of this anguished mind. Oh, I have denied and blasphemed my Lord. I have become so degraded and depraved. I have fallen so deeply. Oh, never did I think my friendship with him would come to this. Oh, how could I have forgotten, even for a moment, his love that welcomed me a stranger into his gracious heart. Oh, how I have spurned his gracious favor when he showed me that the glory of his upon the mountain, when his face shone like the sun, and he allowed me to see that glory. Oh, how I have failed, I have failed to evidence my gratitude, my admiration of him, when on that dark and stormy sea, when being ready to perish, I called out upon his name, and his right hand held me up, and I walked safely on the waves along with him. How could it now come to this? How have I denied, even cursed him? I had vowed to protect him to the very end if necessary, even to die with him, to die for him. How could I have so failed him? Oh, mea culpa, I am guilty. I stand condemned. I had promised to serve him to the end, and now, and now I am probably condemned to hell. Oh, my God, what have I done? My dear people of God, I believe it's safe to say that Peter could hardly live with his thoughts. And had it not been for Christ's prayers for him, perhaps he would have followed the way of Judas and injured himself. Peter ran out into the dark and frightening night. And every word the Lord had ever spoken to him would have burned into his conscience. It would have seared into his mind and accused him and brought him shame. Where would he turn? Where could he go for relief? Oh, his burning, guilty, burdened conscience. But there was more. 
You see, the Lord had warned him that he would do it, but he had scorned his warning. He was confident in his own strength. He was so confident in his own strength, and now there would forever ring in his ears as a deafening death knell, that solemn warning, Simon, Simon, before the crock crows twice, you shall deny me three times. But, but, but by the grace of God, he, he would have remembered also the rest of Christ's words to him. We read it together from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, before the, crock, the cock crows, you will deny me. But I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. And now listen carefully. And when you have returned to me, strengthen the brethren. Oh, how those words must have burned into his bosom as well. We can almost hear him. I remember, he said. I remember that he had said I would be returned, and then my duty would be to strengthen my brethren. So then I am not disowned by him, and I am not cut off from them. He is still my Lord, and they are still my brothers. I am still to be counted among them. I am still counted as a disciple. I am not cast off from him forever, for he told me I would be returned. The Lord then is still my shepherd, and the Lord still restores my soul. Oh, so great my sin, but even greater God's overwhelming love. Oh, turn thou to me, Lord, and I shall be turned. And my dear people, God, a word of warning here. It, is, it would be natural for us to focus here on Peter, but that would not, that would not be right. That would be all wrong. We ought not to be seeing Peter, but we need to capture the great love and the providence of a long-suffering, covenant-keeping God. You see, we heard Peter saying just a few short hours ago, Oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. But where is Peter now? Peter had forgotten. Peter had denied him three times even. But God had not forgotten. Oh, no. Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. Peter was restored. Peter was forgiven. But it was all of grace and it was all of God. The focus here is not on Peter's response to the Lord, but the emphasis here needs to fall on the Lord's work on Peter's behalf. What we see here is that Satan sifts Peter in order to have him. And then God's Holy Spirit springs into the breach. That spirit works in Peter's heart and reconciles him to Christ because, because, because of the faithfulness of God through Christ's intercessory prayers. Congregation, the watchword of the Reformed Christian, in fact, the watchword of all of the great Protestant Reformation is by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And oh, how we see that here. If grace had not met Peter, Satan would have had him and he would have perished forever. If God would have withheld his grace for only a moment, then there was no hope for Peter. Capture this with me. Peter denied his Lord, but Jesus continues to pray for him. Peter had been unfaithful, but Christ remained faithful. Why? Because, because Peter was one of the ones given to Christ by, for safekeeping by the Father. And Jesus would lose none of those whom he had received from the Father in eternity except for the son of perdition. You see, Peter, Peter was a precious, elect child of God. 
and God had set his love upon him and Christ had died for Peter's sins and therefore even though in a moment of passion he had denied his Lord he would be reconciled it could be no other way you see Peter was safe Peter was saved for time and eternity and therefore even Peter's backsliding would be dealt with by God in grace. God's grace is unchangeable. God's grace never forsakes any whom it once embraces. In other words, even in their, even in their falls and in their failure, God's children rise again and they renew their strength as the eagles and they can shake off burdens of guilt, even burdens of overwhelming guilt. Oh, indeed, God places them into the refiner's fire. But as they come out of the crucible, as they come out of that refiner's fire, they are strengthened in their faith and now better qualified to deny themselves and consequently more useful to the Lord in his service and to others. And that refining process was precisely what the Lord had in mind. Go and tell my disciples and Peter, for Peter will be restored, and then he must strengthen the brethren. Oh, it's all started to fit together, isn't it? You see, Peter was, we know Peter. Peter was distinguished for making quick decisions. If a question had to be answered concerning the Messiah, it is Peter's tongue that speaks, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Jesus sees the crowds all abandoning him and asks the disciples if they will go as well, it is again Peter who immediately responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It is Peter that proposes to build the three tabernacles on the mountain of the transfiguration. It is Peter that impetuously proposes walking on the water in the, in the darkness. And when a weapon of defense was thought to be necessary, it was Peter's hand that reaches for his sword. Peter by nature, Peter by nature was a leader. He was quick in suggestion and prompt to act. Peter was qualified in so many ways to take the lead in difficulty and in duty. Peter was well suited to cheer and encourage by his enthusiasm and energy. In short, in short, Peter was qualified to strengthen the brethren. And yet, and yet, and yet, there was clearly something more needed before he would be properly equipped for kingdom service. Peter had great talents. Peter was well suited to lead the disciples after the Lord's death. But, but, but there were still some rough edges that the Lord needed to squeeze and plane off of Peter before he would be properly suited for service. You see, Peter had great gifts Peter had great talents, but his gifts and his talents were so deeply embedded in his own self-confidence that his natural talents were virtually useless to the Lord. In fact, his self-confidence, his own self-esteem was even dangerous in the household of faith. My dear people, God, allow me to digress for just a moment. According to modern thinking, kids commit crime. Kids drink and smoke and become promiscuous because of low self-esteem. And so the answer is to build them up, make them feel good about themselves, and they will no longer see a need to do these things. And we might expect such thinking from the world, but the debate has entered into churches and Christian schools. 
Even some Christians maintain that low self-esteem hinders people from coming to Christ for salvation. And eventually many churches became convinced and began teaching and preaching self-esteem, self-worth as a necessary aspect for the Christian, for the Christian religion. But, 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 but precious saints of God, do not be deceived. That's not the language of the Bible. This whole self-esteem movement that we're seeing today is nothing more than humanism, and it has no place in Christian theology. In fact, the very opposite is true. Self-esteem is simply the sin of human pride, dressed up in different clothes and called by a different name, and the Bible identifies pride as a deadly sin. And the church, instead of promoting the sin of self-pride, should be warning against self-esteem and promote humility instead. That's the clear teaching of the scripture. Paul writes in Romans 12, For by the grace given me I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. The Bible warns us not to think more highly than we ought. It doesn't forbid us to think highly of ourselves, but simply not to think more highly than we ought. And the word more deals with quantity. The issue is not whether you should think well of yourself. You need to think well of yourself in Christ. But whether or not you've gone too far in your assessment of self needs to be determined. The world tells us we can never think too highly of ourselves. But that's not biblical language. And it was that distinction that Peter had failed to maintain. And that is precisely where Peter had lost his way. And that is the sin that the Lord would break Peter of on that one awful, horrible night. You see, Peter counted on his own strength. He counted on his own ability. And it was now that self-confident pride. It was that sinful self-esteem that the Lord would remove from Peter on that night on Golgotha. In one sad hour, people of God, the proud, tall, standing creature we knew as Peter lies shattered on the ground. But the Lord would restore him. The Lord would rebuild him. And after breaking Peter of his pride, the Lord would use him to rebuild the others. Go and strengthen the brethren. Put all the pieces together with me now, people of God. When Peter went out and wept bitterly, when the indescribable, inexcusable guilt racked his body and soul, when all his self-reliance was shattered in the first shock of his remorse, when his shame deepened into sweet and sobbing repentance, when all his heart within him was crushed and his conscience wounded almost unto death and he cried out an accusation against him, when in that great crisis of his character where he no longer knew where to turn, when he no longer knew where to hide, he no longer knew how to face his fellow man, then finally he would learn to no longer trust in himself. And then finally the prodding, even painful hands of the potter had molded him into a vessel useful for the master, qualified to strengthen the brethren. The strength of the Lord had made perfect in weakness. Now he could lead. Now he could teach as opportunities arose, not by natural impulse or instinctive, inst instinctive unbridled passion. Now 
he could strengthen the brethren by way of effective, well-governed reasoning and applications of the truth of the gospel. Now, having been humbled by the Lord, now again and again he would stand as a pillar of the truth, carrying the good news of the gospel. Peter, more than anyone else, would see the huge cracks in, in that vessel known as Peter. But Peter would also be well qualified to carry the gospel and to tell of the great forgiving grace of God. And Peter, perhaps more than the others, would know what it was to forgive others as he himself had been forgiven. He would remain a bold champion of the truth. But because, but because of Golgotha, he could now take the lead, not merely as one who boldly rushes out in his own strength, but rejoicing in the Lord's strength. To God be the glory. My dear, precious people of God gathered here with me today. May that experience of Peter be the blessed experience of us all as we have stood with Peter at Golgotha and as we watch the Lord die for our sin, yours and mine. May it be that each of us, like Peter, may it be that we, each of us have wept bitter tears over our sin that brought that grief and shame upon him. But may we also have run with Peter to the empty tomb to see that he rose to give us life now and forever. And then, knowing ourselves to be restored unto the Father, may we learn to pray that each of us may be used by the Lord to humbly serve him and strengthen one another. Shall we pray?